Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, the Conservative Popular Party has won the most seats in the election in Spain, but not enough for an absolute majority in Parliament. Tens of thousands of protesters have gathered in Israeli cities ahead of voting for a judicial overhaul. At least 16 people have been killed due to a building collapse in Cameroon's business hub Douala. Starting in Europe, in Spain, the Conservative Popular Party has won the most seats in the election, but not enough for an absolute majority in Parliament. That means the country could be facing lengthy negotiations to form a government. Ken Brown reports from Madrid. Celebratory music, flags, and dancing. Spain's centre-right Popular Party faithful were out in force at their party's headquarters. They won the Spanish election with 33% of the vote, with disappointment as their potential coalition partner, the far-right party Vox, performed much worse than expected, losing nearly a third of their seats. Collectively, the right-wing bloc have fallen short of the 176 seats needed to form a government. The PP leader thanked his supporters for their effort. We have won the election, and we deserve to try to form a government, as has always happened under Spain's democracy. Have a great night. Thank you, Spain, Madrid, and all the members of this board who have supported and helped me. Well, it's been a dramatic night in this summer election in Spain. Celebrations by the Popular Party as they won the most votes, but neither side is sure if they actually have enough seats to form a coalition government. Many predictions prior to the election had Pedro Sanchez's Socialist Workers Party, the PSOE, suffering a similar fate to their disastrous recent municipal elections. But the party held firm, marginally improving on their 2019 showing. Spain and all its citizens who have voted have been crystal clear. The backward-looking bloc that wanted to roll back all the progress we have made over the past four years has failed. The big winners of the evening were newcomers Sumar, the far-left platform led by Yolanda Díaz. They gained 12% of the vote and have thrown their weight behind Pedro Sánchez's government for any potential coalition. Their support alone, however, will not be enough to form a left-wing coalition. Around a month from now, Congress will be asked to vote for a new president. If no candidate can gain the votes needed, they will try again two months later. If they still can't produce a result, Congress will be dissolved, and Spain will once again go to the polls to choose who will lead their country. That was Ken Brown reporting from Madrid. Still in Europe. Tourists and residents are fleeing Rose Island during the largest evacuation from a bushfire in Greece's history. The European Union has sent hundreds of firefighters to battle the flames, but weather conditions are not in their favor. Evangelos Sipsas has more. The fire is been burning uncontrollably. We are on top of a mountain where the fire did start about six days ago. And unfortunately, due to the high winds with gusts up to 150 kilometers an hour, the fire was able to spread very fast during the afternoon hours of Sunday, and it spread into a fire front about 30 kilometers long. Now, the meteorologists are warning that throughout the day, more winds are going to be taking place, and we're going to be seeing even more difficult conditions as the temperatures will rise close to 43 or 44 degrees Celsius. There's a number of volunteers with a 
few fire trucks and fire brigades here trying to put out the fire with whatever they have, making sure that this fire is not going to spread into any nearby communities or villages. Whatever has been done is from the volunteers and some people living in the nearby villages. We use our own equipment, our time and money to make some fire zones. But what more can we do? We need the state mechanism here before the fires, not after. We have to point out here that more than 19,000 uh, tourists have been evacuated from the island due to these fires. Uh, a lot of the facilities, the sports facilities and gymnasiums, also schools, were open for these people to sleep over the night. They were provided with some food and some drinks and refreshments to make sure that they're going to stay cool. Now, the, uh, a lot of the carriers that have brought these tourists on the island uh, have made sure that they're going to send in empty planes into the island of Rhodes. That's why the airport will remain closed so they can pick up those people from wherever they're from and make sure that they're going to return back to their country safe. That was Evangelist Sipsas on Rose Island in Greece. Moving on to Asia, tens of thousands of protesters have gathered in Israeli cities ahead of voting for a judicial overhaul. Police used water cannons to disperse the crowd in Jerusalem. Poll results aired on national television suggest that 46% of Israelis are against the amendment under the government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Stephanie Freed reports. Israel is awash in threats, appeals, warnings, and unprecedented actions, all centered around the Netanyahu government's plans to radically alter the country's legal system. Ahead of voting on the first of a series of controversial laws proposed by the extremist government, opposition ministers argued on Sunday against government motives. They're passing laws to weaken the legal system because some of the ministers are suspected of crimes, pyromaniacs igniting people against their brothers. Outside the plenum, protesters are waiting. Most of them spent four days walking dozens of kilometers in extreme heat to get to Jerusalem and demonstrate against the overhaul. Anti-overhaul protesters have been on Israel streets for 29 straight weeks. Violence is escalating as police use water cannons and tear gas against people blocking highways and thoroughfares. Leading up to the votes, former heads of the Mossad, Israel's army and ambassadors to Israel, global business leaders and world leaders, including the U.S. president, are warning Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of irreparable damage to Israel's security, democracy, diplomacy, economy and society if proceedings move forward. More than 10,000 military reservists, including elite fighter jet pilots and intelligence operatives, say they'll refuse service if the law passes. That was Stephanie Freed reporting from Tel Aviv. Elsewhere, in 2019, before the pandemic, 155 million Chinese people traveled abroad, spending over 250 billion U.S. dollars. Southeast Asia was counting on Chinese travelers to help their economies recover. But as the inflow is still far from the surge that was hoped for, Singapore is trying to adapt to new travel trends to attract visitors. Miralu reports. Before the pandemic, Chinese travelers were a powerhouse, a key driver of global tourism. For Singapore, China was the top source of tourists, 3.6 million, or about one-fifth of arrivals in 2019, were Chinese. The Singapore Tourism Board expected to see 30 to 60 percent of those numbers this year. 
But arrivals from China crawled back to 23% of pre-COVID levels in the first half of 2023. Every destination is, is screaming for tourists and giving discounts and, and making it much more affordable. So from that perspective, I think the more aspirational, the more dreamlike destinations will be more appealing. And probably people want to take off their bucket list and let's go there first. And Southeast Asia probably is very accessible. Hence, they'll say, we'll put it off. Another key reason is the slow resumption of flights, resulting in a substantial increase in airfares. As of mid-June, there were 425 weekly flights between China and Singapore. That's just a little over half of pre-COVID levels. Furthermore, Singapore's high cost of living has made it an expensive destination to visit. Attractions went up, hotels rates are much higher than before, transportation as well. So um, overall package now to Singapore is maybe easily 50% more expensive than pre-pandemic. The fundamentals of traveler behavior have also evolved. Rather than a mixed group in a tour group of people who don't know each other, you'll find that the trend of having smaller groups but everyone knowing each other, um, more intimate. Let's say if there's 10 different groups of tourists into this context, the itinerary, there could be 10 variations. So it's not like a fixed package, we sell it and then everyone just sign up and come to Singapore. So it's a lot of customization is involved. While the tourism industry accepts that there may not be a surge in the coming months, most remain optimistic that there will be a gradual return of Chinese tourists in one way or another. That was Mira Lu on Singapore hoping for the return for Chinese tourists. In Africa, at least 16 people have been killed and several others injured as a building collapsed in Cameroon's business hub Douala. Hospital officials say a three-year-old girl was among the victims and another three children are in intensive care. Regina Sondo reports. It's a black Sunday here in Douala, and that's after the collapse of a building at Mobuginess, which is a popular neighborhood here in uh, Douala's, uh, in Douala, Cameroon's uh, economic capital. What's actually happening at the scene is there are some evacuations taking place, and um, many reports have also linked these, and according to what um, the state media is saying today, that the cause of this is after heavy rains have been falling because since Friday, Saturday, and up to now, we've been experiencing torrential rains here in Cameroon in several parts of the country. And they've also said that this building was um, probably getting old and because of the rains, it quickly made it to collapse. That was Regina Sondo reporting on a building collapse in Cameroon. In the Americas, thousands of Americans have braved the sweltering heat this weekend in Washington to take a look at the latest electric vehicles and an expo. The Electrify Expo paraded the latest electric cars, bikes and trucks to hit the U.S. market. Nathan Keane has the story. While governments don't agree on much these days, they all agree that the future is electric cars. And this expo, just a few kilometers from the White House, is really about trying to convince Americans about the future is electric. We have small hatchbacks to the massive F-150 Lightning, uh, which of course, as you know, Americans love their trucks. And this is part of the problem with electric vehicles and the adoption. They want power, they want range, unlike people in Europe, in Asia. It's what really got me about this expo here uh, in Washington, D.C. There are so many electric vehicles, yet none of them 
are actually Chinese brands. And as we know, China not only leads uh, EVs when it comes to technology, but also the rollout of affordable electric vehicles around the world. And this comes down to the trade relationship to the US and China going forward. Is the US electric vehicle market going to allow Chinese vehicles in or joint partnerships and how that's going to be arranged? Because the take up of EVs in the US is slower than most places and a lot of that has to do with costs. So it's going to be very interesting to see how people are putting on these expos in the future also think about vehicles from elsewhere. The real question here in the US though is that even though electric vehicles are going to be the vehicle of the future, is the electric vehicle going to be American? The US auto industry is facing huge choices, huge investments and facing unbridled competition around the world. Can it survive in its current form? Can it thrive in the new era of electric? The future is far from certain, even though it's certainly electric. That was Nathan King reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. The conservative Popular Party has won the most seats in the election in Spain, but not enough for an absolute majority in Parliament. Tens of thousands of protesters have gathered in Israeli cities ahead of voting for a judicial overhaul. At least 16 people have been killed due to a building collapse in Cameroon's business hub Douala. And that concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.